So greetings, people of God. It is good to be in the house of the Lord today. I appreciate your prayers for my family, as well as uh, for the prayers for the CREC General Council. I will say this, we discussed uh, some of what happened at Council this uh, Sunday school this, this morning. Next week we'll be talking about what the Lord is doing uh, in our missions churches and the churches in the Hus Presbytery in uh, Eastern Europe and uh, Asia. And that'll be part of next week's discussion during Sunday school if you're interested in that. Let us ask the Lord to uh, bless the preaching of his word. Please pray with me. Father God, we give you praise. We thank you, O Lord, that you sit on the throne and that your son Jesus, our Lord, sits at the right hand making intercession, praying for us. Lord, I pray that today you would open up our ears to hear, Lord, our minds to understand, and a will, O Lord, give us that we may pray more. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So our subject today is the disciple and prayer. You know, we've been going over what I call Christianity 101, helping each of us who've walked with the Lord for a long time to be refined, to reflect on the fundamentals of our Christian faith, both in word and action. And last uh, couple of Sundays that I preached, I preached on uh, God's Word and how important it is to us. And of course, God's Word instructs us that we should pray. And so today, I want us to consider prayer in our lives. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says this, If you have accepted Christianity, then some of its main doctrines shall be deliberately held before your mind for some time every day. That is why daily prayers and religious reading and church going are necessary parts of the Christian life. Neither this belief or any other will automatically remain alive in the mind. It must be fed. And like I said, we were talking before I was preaching to you in God's Word, on hearing God's Word, on having God's Word preached, and talking God's Word, in letting others speak God's Word into our life. And our reading today from Hebrews reminded us about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That is, coming together with the people of God. Specifically there, thinking of worship. But I was pondering that passage this week, and I realized one of the problems that we associate with that, we're, we're, we talked about this in the men's group, about one verse Charlie's, or even worse, how about this, one phrase Charlie's. People who focus on one phrase, and sometimes even as faithful Christians, we do the very same thing. So forsake not the assembling of yourselves. But for what purpose? To what end? Well, it actually says before that, it says to encourage one another, to spur one another on to what? Good works. You know, one of the biggest reasons that we don't want to come to church or to talk to people during the week who are, who are fellow Christians or to talk to them about God's word is we don't want to be spurred on to good works. We don't want to be sanctified. We don't want to be challenged. We don't want 
even a child, to speak God's word to us that might cause us, that might make us have to consider submitting to God's word. I heard a sermon by Yuri Brito recently, and he said this. Uh, he, he talked about how so often we refuse to listen to God's word, to go to church, hear God's word, preach somewhere. Maybe we're visiting a church or gone somewhere because we're on vacation, and we walk away and say, hey, I didn't get anything out of that. Well, C.S. Lewis would say to you, are you really a Christian? Because God's word was read, it was spoken, even if it was short and not as much as you're accustomed to. I say all this just to say, here, Lewis points out, go to church, read your Bible, pray, and we should do these things daily. And you say, how do I go to church? Well, get together, talk to, fellowship with the saints throughout the week. Focusing in on prayer, we first see the word prayer appear in Genesis chapter 20. When Abimelech gets mixed up between Abraham and Sarah, and of course, if you know that story, you know, Abraham is worried that his wife Sarah is going to be taken from him, that he may be killed because she's so beautiful that he says, we'll just tell Abimelech that you're simply my sister. And Abimelech says, wow, she's a great sister. Let's add you in to my harem. But before anything happens, Abimelech, his eyes are opened and he becomes very concerned because the Lord gives him a vision and says, this is trouble for you. You're going to be cursed because you're getting involved here. And Abimelech is afraid. And in the vision, God says, don't worry, Abraham will pray for you. And what that is, is this word prayer is to mediate. I think it's very telling that when we look at the first place where prayer occurs in the scriptures, it is about God using one man to mediate for another. That's interesting. In order for us to mediate for one another, to bear one another's burdens, to take them to the Lord, well, first of all, we need to know who you are and put you on the list, right? Put all your kids in. Going to keep selling that. But also, you have to be talking with one another. And as Ken would say, be vulnerable. Share the real issues going on in your life. So that what? Others in the body of Christ may mediate, may pray for you and lift you up. This word in the Hebrew, prayer, Palal means to intervene, to mediate, to pray. We see this over and over again where prayer is being done by Moses, Gideon. We heard today about Hannah praying. Samuel, David, Solomon, Elijah, the prophets, the kings, Nehemiah as a leader, Jesus, the apostles. And in fact, all Christians are to pray. 
that's great. Sometimes we get intimidated. And we think, <coughs> excuse me, and we think, wow, i got to pray, let's see. So we can do it one way, we can just be like talking to God as if he's our peer. That doesn't seem quite right, right? Or i got to make these elaborate prayers. Or, oh my goodness, I've been reading in my Bible in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says pray without ceasing, right? All of a sudden... Moms with all these little kids are like, I can't get a second alone, right? And I'm supposed to pray without ceasing? And dad says, man, I get so many calls and emails and jobs and all this is going on, praying without ceasing. Remember that this is to intervene, to mediate on behalf of others for the glory of God to the Lord and to others. Don't be discouraged, people. Think about this. Here this morning, after we did our prayers and petitions, what did we do? We said the Lord's Prayer. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 6 and, and look at what God's Word says about prayer as the Lord taught us to pray. Now, coming into this, just as a, as a way of introduction, we see that in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, we see the first great discourse of Jesus recorded, the Sermon on the Mount. It is a statement of ethics for all Christians, as well as very practical in living the Christian life. Lightheart's commentary on Matthew says this, Jesus wants a discernible difference in the way that his disciples live before men, how we deal with conflicts, sexual practices, marriage, truthfulness, and how we respond to our enemies. And to say, these people are different. Not to bring praise to ourselves, but to let our light shine so that they can see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. At the center of the Sermon of Mount, we see that the word Father, as it relates to our Father in heaven, appears 18 times. It also brings up hypocrites three times, a false piety towards God, towards the things that we do. That false piety is a desire not to please God, but to be seen before other people. We see that in chapter 6, verses 1, four, 1 through 4, that God's Word tells us that we should help others without looking for praise. Do it in secret. You know, I can tell you that in my growing up years, I desired, and this went on well into my adulthood, and I probably even still struggle with it today, my wife might say, and that is a looking for affirmation. In other words, drawing my value through people acknowledging me. I need to put that aside and do the things that I do to glorify God. And in that, serve others, mediate, pray, care for, meet the needs, not for my glory, but so that the Lord may be praised.
And so we are told that we should not, that we should not pray with flattery. And it says this in Luke chapter 11, it says, And when you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in a secret place, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. And when you do pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they that think they will be heard for their many words. Now this is really, really important. Not to just be repetitive, not to do it in a public manner to draw attention to yourself. But it is important for us to recognize that we should be praying for people, not for our benefit, but because we are mediating for ourselves and mediating for others. It's a service to others. I would encourage you here, you say, well, what are we doing here in church? Well, this is a little bit different. Your elders have called you into worship, and we are following the, the methods and guidelines that we see in Scripture. And we, just to remind you what happens, we call worship, we repent of our sins, Christ forgives us, we are ushered up into the heavenlies, into God's presence. And it is, of course, appropriate when we are standing before our Father to come up and pray and bring our prayers and petitions to the Lord in His presence. This is not meant so that we can get praise from other people in the crowd. But this is, in fact, that we may take these petitions to the Lord. And I'll say this, some may say, well, why do you have people write prayers down? Well, extemporaneous prayers can be good. But it is important, one of the reasons that people like to write them down is so that they're thoughtful prayers, that they're representative prayers, that they even allow us to make sure that we've worded it according to God's word. We're just trying to be honorable to the Lord. And at the same time, what happens? When we do it in a, in a careful, laid-out manner, what are we doing? We are teaching others how to pray. Your children here today, we hear the sounds of the covenant with our children in the service. They are listening. At, one, at some point in their life, they're going to all of a sudden perk up, and it's going to be clear to them. But this whole time, they will have been hearing prayers laid out, thoughtfully done, according to God's word, and they're learning and they're hearing, just as we are as adults. It is good to be in God's presence and to bring prayers and petitions to Him. It says this, don't be like them. Don't be like the pagans. Don't pray like them. Pagans are usually praying about, well, what can I get from God? They view God as a slot machine. Now, God is gracious. I recently attended a funeral of a man who came to know Christ while in a terrible, terrible storm. He was out in a, in a boat, a sailboat, I believe, and he was moving up and down the coast. And the, and the storm was raging. 
things were being destroyed. And he had a crew on board. And he cried out to God. And God delivered him. And you know what happened? That man became a faithful man of God, preaching and discipling and reaching out to others and praying all the time. God sometimes is gracious even when we call out for our needs or self-preservation right there. But prayer should be more than just what can I get out of it right now. It is so good to consider God's word. It says this, Therefore pray in this manner, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now all of us said that very thing this morning. But if we want to understand how to pray, we should look at God's word as Jesus told us to pray. And what does it mean? In the very beginning, our Father in heaven, Jesus is focused on teaching us as our mediator that he, Jesus, is reconciling us to God, our Father. This should be a great joy that the creator of all things is our Father and cares for us. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 14, says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Our Father is on his throne in heaven. This speaks to his sovereignty. He has all the power over all things. He is our Father. The reformer John Calvin says this, Whenever we engage in prayer, there are two things to be considered. Both that we have access to God and that we may rely on Him with full, unshaken confidence, His fatherly love towards us, and His boundless power. Unshaken confidence because our Father that we are adopted of, He cares for us. And he has boundless power. Second Chronicles 2 verse 6 says this, But he who is able to build him a temple, since heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. Who can build a place for God because God made all things? All of heaven, that is, the created heavens, the universe, can't hold him. And the heaven that he sits on his throne cannot hold him. And that is who is our Father. And of course it doesn't leave it there. It says, hallowed be thy name. To be hallowed is to render or acknowledge, to consecrate, to dedicate to God. It is to give the glory that is due his name. So it is our Father and then we give him glory and praise. 
As sinful men, we obscure God's holiness by wickedness and ill will towards God and others and contaminated by our sin or dishonor it and pollute it by our empty contempt towards God. We should remember the fourth commandment when we're talking about hallowing God's name. Exodus 20 verse 7 says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now I preached on uh, this section before, much earlier this year, and we talked about how to take the Lord's name in vain is to consider it empty. To just be nothing. And here we are told, do just the opposite. To not take God's name in vain is to pray to Him, recognizing He is both our Father and holy. He is righteous. He is great. He is worthy to be praised. And so we are reminded not to take an empty attitude when we pray. Now I'm going to pause right there and just say this. If you have been a Christian a while and you've been praying... I can, genu- I can pretty much say that all of us, myself included, have fallen in. Sometimes we have a, a prayer list we're going through. Or we have prayers that we say, and it just becomes routine. Guard yourself from this. Do not make it simply check the box, I got it done. Because that is taking it with a level of emptiness. Sometimes I find myself where I have to say, wait a minute, I just ran off on a tangent. Let me come back and focus. Let me come back and focus. Because God is not only my Father that I can bring things to, He is also our holy God. We see this, that it is important that we order our life. In verse 10 it says, Your kingdom come. And what this means is, may your kingdom arrive unchanged. You see, that's the problem with each one of us and with many men or people alive today. They want God to come. They want all the blessings. But that means they want God's kingdom to come changed and customized to them. What we need to do in all humility is say, Your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. May it come unchanged. May we submit ourselves to God and His Word. We are to remove all hindrances, bring all men under His domain, and lead them to meditate the heavenly life. We center our understanding or I guess I should say we should center our understanding that His kingdom is established, it is set, and that we need to submit ourselves to God's sovereignty. When something difficult happens, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? What sin should I repent of? We look at things and we say, This is your world, Lord. What action should I take? We certainly do that when things are good. We go, oh, thank God. It's a good thing. And here we are reminded that our life should be centered, that this is his kingdom. More than that, 
it goes on to say, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to consider that we serve God without opposition or reluctance. That's a challenge, isn't it? Think about what God's Word tells us. In, a, in this prayer, we are saying that we need to serve God without opposition or reluctance. Because God our Father who loves us, who has our very best in mind, is at work in our life. We see this realized in the gospel. Isaiah 52 verse 7 says this, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to the Lord, Your God reigns. Your watchmen shall lift up their voices. That is, the people of God lifting up their voices. With their voices they shall sing together, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion, that is, establishing his kingdom. Break forth into joy and sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem. When there's trouble, when there's difficulty, we can sing for joy because of the gospel. Because he brings salvation to us and to our children and to this culture. The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Let us with joy, let us with joy serve the Lord and submit ourselves without opposition or reluctance. And again, these are political ideas because we can see in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working excuse me, by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. Now it's very interesting when we consider this idea of our citizenship. This word, it talks about its meaning in, in the Greek, is the administration of civil affairs or of a commonwealth. It's a form of government and the laws which are administrated by it. Right now, I think it's fair to say that there are things that are going on in the government, both locally, state, nationally, and certainly internationally as well, that are not glorifying God that might even be pushing back against some things of the Lord. And what His Word says, we're called to be here, to be in this culture, to, to be here right now, but we need to, our lives to be centered and submitted to God's Word without reluctance and recognize that our citizenship is with God in His kingdom. And it isn't just a heavenly kingdom out there, no, because we understand by studying the Scriptures that the end of all things is when heaven is opened up and comes here to earth. The resurrection occurs and our physical bodies are restored. It is the bringing of God's kingdom to the earth without a veil. 
it's important that we remember what we're called to do in being submissive to the gospel. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1, 4, 1 through 5, it says this, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at the, His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Sounds like now. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. We're told here, preach the word, be ready. The people are not going to want sound doctrine that they're going to keep up for themselves teachers that tell them what they want to hear. And we are commanded in verse 5, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Now, obviously Paul is talking to Timothy here, but it is important to recognize that this is a call for each one of us. <coughs> Excuse me. Here's what you have to remember. All the noise... The clamoring for attention that is going on in the world around us is a call to be distracted that the earth is the Lord's. Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. This is God's world. We belong to Him. And all the noise of everything that's going on Pay it no mind. May your life be centered by God and His Word and His truth. Now all this sets us up to actually bring the petitions. It's, the, it's interesting when you look at this. <coughs> because He starts with our petitions for our life. God recognizes that He created us in this world he doesn't start by saying, actually, here, get right with God, repent of your sins. No, in fact, He knows our weakness. Some of you right now might be saying, when is He going to get done preaching? My stomach is rumbling. Okay? We've all been there, right? God understands our weakness. When I, when I was running a homeless shelter, we would have, they would have breakfast earlier in the morning, but before we had our chapel service on Sundays, I bring in donuts and coffee to make sure that hunger wasn't beating upon them when I was trying to teach them God's Word. Okay? Just the practical side. And God is very practical. He says this, Give us this day our daily bread. Remember the structure. We worshipped and adored, and then we reminded ourselves of His sovereignty and power over the world. And then, in His kindness, God our Father knows we are hungry, that we have practical needs in this world that He has given us. Food, shelter, clothing, money to do the things that He's called us to do and to be responsible to. And God lavishes His grace upon us, not just for the forgiveness of our sins, but towards our needs. Look at Isaiah 25, beginning in verse 6. And in this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, 
of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees, and he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all the people and the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. He not only lavishes us with forgiveness, but here in this model prayer, Christ says, ask for your physical needs to be met. Because God did create this world, and he did intend for us to have a feast, not just the peace offering here that we're going to partake of in a few minutes, but also to bring blessing. He both forgives us and provides for us. In all this, we must see that this is a daily petition. It's daily bread. We are to take our requests of our needs to the Lord daily. Now, this is really interesting. When you study this word daily in Greek, it can take the meaning of both this day's bread, that is to say, if it is set in the morning, or tomorrow's bread, if it is said in the evening. This can remind us and help us to conclude that maybe we should be praying both morning and evening prayers for our needs. Again, John Calvin points us to this understanding of God's grace by pointing out that God leads us, now this is important, us to the expectation of heavenly blessings by giving us a taste of temporal blessings. Now, i got to tell you, that really makes me think of this. God gives us a taste of some temporal blessings, bread and wine, to give us an anticipation and an expectation of the eternal heavenly blessings. But it is true even in our daily life when he provides for us food and shelter, the strength to work, the job that we have. What a blessing. This leads us finally to request for a heavenly blessing. Matthew 6.12 says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We must remember that we are sinners saved by grace. Even though we can call him our father, we are sinners saved by grace. These debts is that which is owed, legally due. It's an offense, a sin. But we can ask for forgiveness. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, for the law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. We can confess our sins, and He is going to forgive us. We are forgiven. We are to be like Christ. Here's the, here's the challenge. Because we're all happy to run up there and say, God, forgive me so I can be made right. But Jesus, what did He do? We are to be like Christ, and we need to forgive our debtors. Romans 5.8 tells us this, But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and now while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And what happened? What did he say when he was nailed to the cross? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing.
it also says in Romans chapter 5, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved in this life. And not only that, that we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. This forgiveness that we ask of God, we must forgive others. Forgiveness is to be given to others whether they have repented. We should seek reconciliation out of our gratefulness for the great forgiveness that God has given to us. You see, right now in today's culture, we're hearing all the time, someone has hurt me, someone has offended me, and therefore I've been victimized and they need to go and make it right. God's Word teaches us that even though we have been forgiven, even though we go and ask, we are then commanded to forgive others, whether they've repented or not, that we should seek reconciliation out of humility and gratefulness to God because of His forgiveness towards us. He finally says this, he goes, we must be delivered. Matthew 6, 13, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Augustine renders this this way, that we may not lead, be led into temptation, deliver us from evil. We need to acknowledge in full awareness of our own weakness. We must desire and be covered by God's protection. This is a total dependency on God our Father's protection to withstand anything that Satan may bring against us. We are to ask for this. And we need to enjoy this like a child. You know, a child plays, his mom and dad are nearby, and they play in bliss, not knowing what's raging down the street or in the government, or the dangers around them. Why? Because their mom and dad are right there. Well, our Father is right here with us, and we are to ask Him, and we should trust Him, and be in full reliance and dependency. Yes, we are to be wise as serpents, so we shouldn't be ignorant and just walk around, well, God's got it all but we should also be gentle as doves, relaxed, and trusting Him in total dependency. You know, he closes out this by a declaration of God's sovereignty. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know, it's interesting. We begin with God our Father who is ruler of all, and then we return at the end of the prayer to the acknowledgement that this is His kingdom, His power, His mighty work. His glory, His honor, His praise, that He may be worshipped. It begins, Our Father, hallowed be Thy name, and ends with the acknowledgement, again, the power and sovereignty and love of God, the power and sovereignty of God, 
even though we may have brought all our troubles and difficulties in there, we have confessed our sins, all of these things are going on, and we rely on God. That amen at the end, remember, that is, so be it, because it is truth, truth, that word, amen, truth, truth. It isn't just the truth, though, this is the truth. We're going to close with this last reminder here. I call it the prologue because in Matthew 6, 14, it says this. It's interesting. So he teaches us all this prayer, and I have it titled the prologue, Yes, Really. Because in the middle of all this, after he finishes telling us this is how we pray, he says this, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespass. Now look, we just had Jesus, the Son of God, teach us to pray. And He told us, forgive those people who've sinned against you because I've forgiven you. And we went, yep, I'll do that. And then we checked out. He felt the need. He knew we needed to be reminded of this. Remember this word prayer? It's a mediator. Let us remember that Jesus, the Son of God, is sitting at the right hand of the Father doing what? Mediating for us. We must be mediating for those who sin against us in the same way that Jesus does for us, with forgiveness and grace and care. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise. We thank you for this day. We thank you for teaching us to pray. Lord, we ask you to grant us wisdom and application in our daily life. In Jesus' name, amen.